0: Welcome to another uh, podcast of The Rebel Dentist. I am Gabriel Ruiz, and to get, today with me we have...
1: Amy Poland.
0: And John Will sitting in today. Excellent. Uh, we're very excited to have John with us today. Uh, Dr. Will is a dental anesthesiologist, mm-hmm. and uh, I know that this is something that not a lot of people know about.
2: Yeah, it's kind of a niche corner in dentistry, and... Um, Basically, what I do is I help work with other dentists and help facilitate dental treatment to patients that are um, either pre-cooperative, they're a little too young to tolerate dental appointments and they have early childhood caries, or patients with special needs that um, just can't cooperate for the dentist, or sometimes even for adults that are just phobic and don't want to have to worry about the hassle of shots and... um, the sound of the drill, and keeping their mouth open, and the rubber <laughs> dam, and the tennis ball, and all I that mean, stuff.
0: I, why, why would people not want to be away
2: during that stuff? Exactly. And so, <laughs> fortunately, um, there's another way, and that's called sedation dentistry. Or sometimes you'll see billboards for it, and sleep dentistry, and things like that. And um, that's what I do, is I work with dentists to help make their patient experience a little more comfortable. Okay.
1: So then, tell us what the different types of sedation dentistry are.
2: Yeah, so basically there's three main types of anesthesia and sedation that we can do for dentistry. The first one, and the most common, is oral conscious sedation, and that's just the little um, Versed cocktail that most pediatric dentists will use in their own office and do themselves. And uh, that is just a light sleep where the patient is sometimes awake and sometimes asleep. And it's good if there's only, like, one filling or okay. a crown that needs to be done. Shorter procedures, that works pretty well. For medium procedures or wisdom teeth, you'll use IV sedation. Um, this is what the uh, oral surgeons sure. will okay. do. Okay. Most of the time, if you go into your wisdom teeth out, they're going to start an IV, give you some Versed and some fentanyl, just get you into a nice, um, comfortable, sedated state and get the teeth out for you like that. So, and then the other one, what I do the most of is general anesthesia. And there's two ways that you can do that. One is with medicine that you breathe or inhalational anesthesia, and okay. then the other one is also through an IV, but it's heavier duty medications okay. than the IV sedation would be. All right. And and, and the,
0: the, the oral anesthesia, is that even that's like like old fashioned they used to put the chloroform on top of people's
2: face. Uh, is that still something that... So, I've... not really. Okay. Chloroform has kind of gone the way of the wayside. You okay. know, It's one of those things where there's just better medications now. Okay. And um, safer medications, medications that aren't as flammable and dangerous to the patient and things like that. Um You can still put patients to sleep solely with medicines that you breathe. Uh You just have to have the machine to do it. Those medications are um, a little higher end, a little bit more expensive to get. And, of course, you have to have the training to do them. Mm -hmm. But it is really nice if you have it because the patient doesn't have to tolerate an IV or a shot or things like that. Makes sense. Um, So if you have the availability and the training to do it and the machine and the time and the setup and all that stuff, it it works really well. So, you're speaking
1: of the training, then, what exactly do you have to do training-wise to become a dentist anesthesiologist?
2: Good question. So, I went to dental school, just uh, like everybody else that does this, does dentistry, and then after that, I applied for a residency. And when I did it, it was a two-year program. Okay. There's about seven or eight, maybe more now, um, schools across the country, and hospitals across the country that offer this They're type of a program. Period. And it's recently increased to a three-year program, so it's a little bit more robust. And the idea is we want to really cement that training in the newer graduates' minds so that they're a little more competitive with other anesthesia providers in the field. And um, when I did it, it was two years, and it was about 40% hospital-based. So we were in the OR doing... Um, anesthesia for orthopedic cool. cases and for general surgery cases, taking out gallbladders. Um, we did it for some all kinds you were in of cases. There with, so the I was in there with the students. medical students, the medical residents, cool. with, um, doing some pretty big cases. And then about forty-five percent of it was clinic-based, so that was in the dental school, working on dental cases, doing sedation and anesthesia for them. And then about 15% was actual medicine rotation. So on the medical floor, treating patients that have heart disease and have diabetes and um, working in the ER, admitting patients, and then caring for them when they're actually admitted as patients. Right. And the idea with that is you have to know the pathology that you're going to be treating, the pharmacology of the drugs that you're doing, and things like that. And so pretty intense uh robust medical rotations to really bring us up to speed with what's going on. Makes perfect kind of sense.
1: Thing. Yeah. So then you said that when you went to school that there was only in a, there were two schools that offered the program that you were in. There so are you wrong?
2: There are eight but or now, nine you now. You said there there are more. So there are, there's been a couple more that have opened since I've finish up school. So
1: it sounds like the demand has increased. Demand is definitely what increased. What has led to that increase, in your opinion?
2: I think that a big part of what has led to that increase is um, being driven by the parents that are out there. You know, we're, we're all in this era of protective parents, and they don't want their kids to be exposed to any sort of trauma or anything difficult or have to worry about them being anxious or... Yeah. anxiety or things like that and i think that's really driven <laughs> um to you know create an environment where i have a job and uh that's good where i can do this more often you're seeing you know with more schools showing up and um the school is offering more positions for trainees that there's just more and more people coming out when i finished there was maybe 35 people graduating a year, and now it's closer to 50, 55. Mm-hmm, wow. <laughs> so um, That's a significant even though increase. It, it is a, a small corner in dentistry, it's definitely growing, and there's there's people in every state almost now, and you know, lots of big cities have people doing this, and even some of the smaller cities are starting to see people like me show up and uh, help treat patients there too. Okay.
1: Um, so are your patients or people that need treatment generally receptive towards sedation and dentistry, or are they afraid to use it?
2: Uh, yes to both. So there are (laughs) patients that are, uh, that totally get it. They're on board with what you recommend that needs to be done. And they trust you as the provider. When you recommend something that you're not trying to sell them into doing something that you think is best for them. And, um, that you really think that their child would benefit from the service that you're suggesting and recommending. Mm-hmm. And then you have the patients that are a little more nervous, kind of the hover parents that are a little very overproductive. I guess a little very overproductive is <laughs> a big offense. Of but you'll see those kinds of parents where they just they hold back a little bit and they're a little bit skeptical of what we're offering and what we're <laughs> suggesting. And then they'll kind of go through the whole thing. Well, how long have you been doing this? What if something happens here? Do you have the training? Do you have the ability? How many emergencies have you had? And you just kind of go through it with them step by step, and you you show them, you know, I've been doing this for six years on my own in private practice, and I was doing it for a couple years before that, learning to do it. I've done it almost 5,000 times now. Wow. Um, (laughs) <laughs> I don't get the you look too young to be doing this anymore, anymore. <laughs> So uh, yeah, that was that a nice too. I that, was that was a nice thing when it happened but I've kind of moved past that stage <laughs> my life. And now yeah, everyone serious. believes that I'm old you're old enough you to, be to actually things. be that's doing a, this I guess that's a blessing in disguise <laughs> uh, but I think most parents want their kids to be comfortable with the dentist and to have a good experience and to not grow up afraid of regular dental appointments and, yeah. and what i can do is is help make that easier for them so that when they show up at the dentist it's just smile you know do some x-rays and everything is relatively simple for them
0: makes sense um and we were talking before the podcast started mm-hmm. that there seems to be a cultural thing with with spanish families mm-hmm. and i was explaining to you that that's i grew up with that that's very common you know the whole idea of going under it's it's something that scares Spanish mm-hmm. people as a general rule. I don't know why, but there's definitely, you know, the, the idea of choosing to do it. Now if you were in a car accident or something like that, mm-hmm. nobody ever worries about it. But if he
2: says something but it's something that you select oh man, no. There's no a way. lot of hesitancy with yes, that
0: there kind is. of thing. There is. Yeah, and
2: so we'll definitely know is they're very nervous about it and they're hesitant to do it. They'll usually follow your recommendations. There've been very few yes. that have outright refused to do mm-hmm. it and you you kind of have to walk uh the hesitant people through it and just tell them you know listen i've done this for my nephew before and it went fine and i've done this for my niece mm-hmm. before a couple times mm-hmm. and it went fine and the main thing is we're cautious with what we do and we're not going to recommend it for someone who wouldn't actually benefit from yes. it. i mean it all comes back down to the hippocratic oath i mean it's lame to say that but you have to know what's best for your patient mm-hmm. and make sure that that's what you're doing and if it's not in your best interest, we're not going to tell you to do it. We're going to offer something else. We're going to make you do it awake or we're going to send you to a university and have it done there or whatever. Um, so I think that it's become much more accepted in dentistry as it's become more prevalent. And and that can get into a little bit of a chicken and the egg situation. Which one came first? Well, it's a little bit of both of them. As, as more people are offering it more people are choosing to do it and as more people are choosing to do it you need more people to offer it It, and it it makes sense i mean
0: of all procedures that you have done Mm -hmm. in the medical community Mm -hmm. okay there's very few things that are as dreaded as dentistry and it is because Mm -hmm. it is a very uncomfortable thing yeah uh you know in in even even if if it's you know pressure
1: Mm -hmm. uh
0: it is extremely uncomfortable and it's not the kind of experience that you would want to go through and even I think even us as dental professionals we kind of have a little bit of Ooh, am I going to, uh, right. you know, yeah. oh, do, do, do I, do I, I really want deep deep that tooth? Yes. You know <laughs> I think I did that
2: last year on probably Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, yeah. Fine. No, I'm, I'm
0: fine. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm just going to fly text with you. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it is a, it is a tough thing and, and this makes it so much easier. I recently had some eye work done mm-hmm. and uh, they, I was actually awake during part of it. They oh, put wow. me to sleep okay. and they, I, the only pain I felt well, was they one did, day. The
3: sedation they really? used was the Versed and fentanyl. Yeah, it would have been
2: the IV sedation. And they
3: told me, we kept him kind of light because of his apnea. Uh-huh. And I was
2: like, okay... Yep. And, uh, and no
3: no oxygen no supplemental
2: oxygen except the little just the nasal can, can right?
3: yeah,
0: yeah. yeah I, didn't, I didn't feel there was one point where I felt a little bit of pain and the rest of it was just discomfort mm-hmm. but just that discomfort was not something that the next time that I, if I have so to have eye yeah, work done
2: you're going to think twice that twice. I, you know, yeah. I'm going oh Should yeah you let's, let's, let's a little do it a bit again
1: here.
3: let's do <laughs> <laughs> that's what I to tell her that it was very uncomfortable and yep. that she needs to tell her person to do it deeper. Yep. That anybody else beside you know, who can't look at it objectively, like his mother, she will never have her cataracts treated again because she was so miserable. There is no reason for that to be the case. Right,
2: yeah. yeah. Right. And it's just a matter of being set up to do something a little bit differently mm-hmm. and if you're not set up for it in the moment of the surgery, then you have to prepare for it the next time. Makes sense. And... That's easy to do. If you
0: so so I, I really, I agree that this is what needs to be, what happened. Have you experienced any challenges with people saying, eh, it's just a matter of comfort, you know? It's not a, it's uh, as far as, as, as being not accepted, not so much by point. the patient, uh-huh. but by, you know, maybe the
2: establishment in general. Sure. So there are, um... There are pockets of places where it's more accepted than others, and it always starts on the coast and kind of works its way inward. So it's very well established in the East Coast, New York, Pennsylvania, Eastern Seaboard, that kind of thing, and in California, and all up and down the West Coast, and it's moving inward slowly, and it's, it's a big paradigm shift. Everyone's used to having... The pediatric dentist that has one day a month in the hospital mm-hmm. and they take their patients there and they and get oral, them done. Or an sedation oral sedation in their
3: offices. Yeah. Right, an oral
2: sedation in the office for the lighter, smaller cases. And anything more than that just isn't going to be done in your office. Mm-hmm. And as you're seeing more people that are able to do this and that have good outcomes you're seeing more places slowly accept it, but it it does take time. And especially if you move into a new area, like if you move to, um, I don't know, small town USA Mm -hmm. and every dentist there is used to this certain model where we go to the hospital for that, or we send them up to big city USA to the university and let them do it there Mm -hmm. at the dental school. Um, it takes a long time there to educate the providers and the population at large that this is something that it's it, safe, that has a good track record, that uh, is okay to do. Yeah, uh, makes sense. It can take time, but I think it's an endeavor that's worth, it's worth it. It's worth it, yeah. You go there, and it's a little bit of the field of dreams kind of thing. If you build it, they will come. You know, if you offer this service, um, you're going to see more people ask for it. And like We definitely have experience that ourselves in our own practice, right? So I, we've been working together for almost six years now, yep. and you didn't do any years. sedation uh, before I came into your oh. office. And what was that like for you guys? You know, they're...
1: I don't think we really want to. You just do it. <laughs> no, I, mean, I wasn't going to do it. And for
3: me personally, um, you know, I've had parents say, "Well, if it was your kid, what would you do?" And I volunteer. I'll tell them I've sedated both my children several times. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I trust him. Yeah. Um And I tell them, I had someone at, talk about or ask me about, but what about like the oral sedation? Isn't that safer? I said, well, let me tell you, I've done that with my son also. Oh. My mm-hmm. argument against that is, I said, they will not let you go back for either one. Mm-hmm. They let me go back. I saw what happens. Mm-hmm. I'm not comfortable with my child being tied down to a papoose score. Because they get squiggly,
0: and that's yeah, that and was that was what I was thinking. Because mm-hmm. when I when I asked you, because it seems to be maybe not so much right now than in the past, it was like let the child tough it out, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: let them scream, let time down. They put him in the quiet room or
3: whatever they yeah. call it. I do not want my child in that room because yeah. I hear so many teenagers tell me. When I was oh, little, I they tied yeah. me down, they blah, 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 and I was like, I'm not comfortable with my child doing that. Which
0: is what you were saying at the beginning, that yeah, he yeah. has been kind of parents going, yeah, just because he had happened to me, right. they didn't see to me. They want me. something better. For exactly. our that's what, that's what <laughs> being
2: a parent is all about, but with, with uh, the rise in sedation dentistry, you're seeing more people say, I want something that's a little more definitive. And to circle back around to your point of, well, isn't oral sedation a little bit safer? Well, There is risk with everything that we do. And the nice thing about general anesthesia is you are deeper. And paradoxically, deeper sedation can actually be safer because I'm protecting your airway. I'm monitoring your breathing the whole time. And a lot of um, times the patient is intubated and um, I'm able to actually breathe for you. Whereas with oral sedation, I don't know how deep you are. You might be asleep for a few minutes and then you're going to wake up as I start to Administered the local anesthesia and then you get wiggly like you were talking about kim or you might fall back deeper asleep and then i didn't notice but hey you know what uh, i'm not sure if the patient is is breathing and then you have to stop what you're doing and you have to focus and so yeah with with general anesthesia it's a much more defined state and you're it's much uh more controlled environment, so that's what I like to do. Is and
3: that's basically what I told those parents was it's the predictability and the controllability. Mm-hmm. With oral sedation, they don't know how light your kid's going to be, and they may be shrinking and thrashing all over the place, and they may not be. But with IV sedation, that's easier to control.
2: Mm-hmm. If the patient gets light, I can readminister more medications to get them sleepier. Again. Deeper. Get them mm-hmm. deeper, exactly. And with oral sedation, it's pretty much one dose and then you the see what happens. And if it doesn't work and they get too squiggly, then you just cancel it and you temporize the tooth that you're working on or finish what you're doing and, and, and come back and do it again or do it um, with IV sedation or general anesthesia the next time. So. And that has been
0: one of our, our the things that we like the most is that reliability, knowing that it will be taken care of predictability, yes. exactly. Uh-huh. Um and, and being able to say I, I think our most common thing is is to walk walk by, hear a child screaming mm-hmm. and go, sedation. Yeah. <laughs> you know <We're> <laughs> exactly, exactly. exactly, exactly. We kinda of pass each other and quietly go, Sedation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we won't scream that's right. Yeah, exactly. That's right. So yeah. For us, it has really reduced the level of stress. Uh, we see quite a few of...
3: I don't bend over backwards to try and get this person's work done no matter what with streaking and gas. If they're too... Anxiety or too little for the gas, mm-hmm. I don't even try. And it's easier on everybody that way. Yeah.
2: Yep. Yeah.
3: Better to not try than to fail. Right. And then next time is even worse. So...
1: You graduated and started practice in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, how have things
2: changed? So, right around that time in 2009, Michael Jackson died, and he was, you know, mis- misusing propofol, but it kind of raised the um, public awareness of. Medications that I use every day, like propofol, Mm -hmm. and then there was even a
1: shortage for mm -hmm. a while of propofol, was there not? There
2: was a shortage for a while, and we had to kind of work around that. Um, you would be on a waiting list to get the medications that you needed, and then of course the price went up and things like that. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's been a couple of high profile deaths related to anesthesia, unfortunately, and um. The public is definitely more aware of those risks. And like we were talking about before, there are some that are very concerned about that. And so what I have to do is educate them and say, you know, when this is done properly, when you're as careful as can be and you're going over the patient's health history and you know, you know they have A, B, C medica- uh, medications that they take and they have this condition and that condition and you're saying, okay, this is a lot that this patient has going on. I either need to step back and get more information about why they're taking these medications and how stable they are and uh, really work them up, or just draw the line and say, you know what, the best thing for you is to send you to a hospital and get it done there. You have to educate the patient, and then you have to show them, or I've had to show a lot of them, sometimes when these medications are administered. It's not done correctly. correctly, and then the the challenge is: well, how do I know you're going to do it correctly? <laughs> well, and you're right; you don't know yeah, me I mean, from that's a Adam. Good that's a great question. I understand your your mistrust. But there's a right. difference between
0: administering a medication at someone's residence, right, to and sitting inside an office, <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly. with all the equipment, and right. you know, it's not like you go to sleep and, and that's it. You know, there's going to be people around you. Right. Constantly. Constantly. Well, and I tell my
3: patients, his only job is dealing with the patient and their breathing and their circulation. That is his only job. That's it.
0: During this last eye surgery, everybody was saying, Why are you so calm? Because this is, if there's any place where I'm safe, it's going to be right here. Exactly. You know, I have a whole team around me making sure that I'm going to be fine when I wake up. Why would I be scared of that? You know Exactly. I tell a lot of
2: patients, think of me as your designated safety officer for the next two hours. I'm going to be your guardian angel or however I need to say mm-hmm. it to you. But my job is to watch you and to keep you safe. And then someone else is going to do the dentistry. Mm-hmm. And we're going to divide it up so that they can do the very best dentistry that they can do. And I can do the very best anesthesia for you. And you have to just go through it with them slowly and, and and then you also have to be very principled and know your limits, know what you're comfortable with and um, be willing to turn patients away because ultimately we, we don't want that kind of an outcome. No, no, no. It's, it's not a benefit to anybody. It doesn't help anybody and, yeah. and you're never going to forget that. You know, mm-hmm. It's it's one of those moments where you're always prepared for it and as an anesthesiologist, you're always watching for mm-hmm. it. Um, I mean, I was talking about this with a friend of mine who's an EMT or he's a paramedic Uh and we were saying, you know, we're trained to think of the worst case scenario and I'm always looking at my patient and thinking, how are you going to mess this up for me? What are you going to do that's going (laughs) to make me stress out more, that's going to make me have to rescue you or um, how are you going to crash on me? And and you have contingency plans and you have backup plans to backup plans Mm -hmm. and you're always ready with Whatever you need to be, and um, but but the reality
0: is that as long as you work within your standard, within yep. what you can do, yep. have the right equipment, yep. have the right experience, it's going to be a safe, it's a, safe, you know, as safe as being in an airplane. But you now, know? one
3: thing that I've explained to parents, and I think I would wager most people do not understand, is there is a continuum of sedation,
1: mm-hmm. and
3: I will explain this to people. One side is totally conscious like now, Mm -hmm. the other side is totally unconscious like you're getting major surgery on your guts or your brain or something. And when we do it in the office, Mm -hmm. we're only like half or two-thirds maybe of the way over. That is not the same kind of sedation that they do in the hospital where you are going to stop breathing and this and this and this. And they're like, oh, oh, really?
2: Yes, yeah, that and is you not can do, the same thing. and you can do anywhere in between there. It's mm-hmm. not like a light switch where it's on and, and you're awake, and it's think. off and you're asleep. It's more of a light switch with a dimmer, and we can control how light or how deep we want or dark we want it to be. Yes, and I can do the general yes. anesthesia where you're completely asleep and I'm breathing entirely. And I tell you, you are qualified that. for that. And I do that but that's sometimes, not where we're but. But a lot of times what we're doing here is a deep sedation where you're not responsive and you're not communicating to the dentist and you're not aware of anything that's happening, but um, you're you're still breathing for yourself and your vital signs are still controlling themselves. It's just I might have to uh, slow your heart rate down if, if it gets tachycardic or if you get a little bit slower heart rate. I can help with that, obviously, with medications. But uh, you're body is still doing what it's supposed to do it's just you're not consciously aware of it and 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 that's usually where we're going for and and they don't
3: once i explain that then the parents are saying oh oh really this is not the same as what they do in the hospital i mean we have all the same monitors so it's Mm -hmm. okay and he's qualified for that but that's not where we are going
0: now changing the subject a little bit i remember back when you started six years ago Mm -hmm. There seemed to be a challenge being accepted mm-hmm. in the general dental community mm-hmm. with the ADA and so on.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, how has that changed over the last six years? What's what's the progress happening on that?
2: The progress right now is uh, our group had applied for specialty status in okay. the ADA, and unfortunately, it it did not pass. Right, and that that was disappointing because we were hoping that the ADA would stand behind us and say they are qualified we respect what they're doing, it's an important part of dentistry and we're going to affirm what they're doing by giving them specialty status mm-hmm. which would have been great for public relations because then the community would feel, the general population at large would feel that this is a legitimate real practice thing, of dentistry yeah. and Makes a real sense. thing unfortunately that didn't happen and that's life, we move on And at this point, we're just kind of out there raising public awareness as we can as an organization, as a society of dental anesthesiologists ourselves, and just showing the general population what it is we do. And we just have to show the general uh, dental population, uh, the dental professionals, what Mm -hmm. it is we do. And we just have to prove ourselves every day. And you do that by bringing your A-game and by getting to know your your local dental providers and showing them what, what we do. And by having good, positive experiences with our patients every day and just letting word of mouth kind of do its own thing. And, you know, at the end of the day, you can only control the things that you have access to touch and control. And you just do the best for your patients and the best for your providers that you work with. And you hope that you change the world a little bit, like one life at a time. I guess. Are you hoping
0: to maybe kind of do that first and then hopefully later on try to why
2: again to get the ADA I, to... I would imagine
3: you know, that would be a constant reapplication
2: I think I think it's one of those things that um, is, is very divided you'll see lots of providers lots of dental anesthesiologists that want to do that again and lots that are <laughs> like we've like, been there before do why that? would we do it again <laughs> so it's hard to say I would like to see us do it again and um, we'll just kind of have to see how it goes but like I said I can only control so much so I'm out I'm out I figure, you know, I'm out in the real world. I'm not in um, the political side of dentistry mm-hmm. and uh, as a uh, a representative for anything. So, out in the real world, we just kind of move on with our day and know that um, people in our community know what it is we do and and they respect what it is we do. And um, you know, I think it does make a difference. I mean, it's definitely mm-hmm. increased access to care for. Patients in in our practices, you yes. know, both of us together, I mean, there are because. patients that wouldn't get this done, or that if they were to get it done, would have to go to a hospital and wait six months on the waiting list mm-hmm. or a year, That's and okay. a tooth that might have been a filling ends up being a pulp and crown or an extraction. So I think you're seeing access to care is improving, and uh, you know, we just focus on the things that we can uh, affect ourselves and. I mean, not worry about those bigger things. You're you know. saving,
0: you're saving, patients' pain. Mm-hmm. You are allowing them to get more treatments completed, which mm-hmm. was something that you know, if it was a bad experience, that child is not going to want to come back to the dentist. So you know, who knows what other things you're not never going to get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for us, that's what we have experienced. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's beneficial, and whether the government realizes it or not. We're saving, saving them quite a bit of money mm-hmm. by being able to do this in the
2: smaller setting rather than... Not in
3: the hospital. Not in the hospital. Right. You, know, you don't
2: where, have facility fees. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a smaller staff to treat That's you. right. You don't have all the auxiliary staff um, involved in a hospital appointment where you check in at the front desk and then they walk you back to the, the next department. And then you get into the um, outpatient surgery department and so on and so forth. I mean think of how many people you have to talk to when you go to a hospital for a procedure. It's It's like 25 people. A lot of overhead. Mm -hmm. A lot of overhead. Mm -hmm. And the government has to pay that bill at some point for for the patients that are the Medicaid population. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if you come and do it in a dental office, there's the front desk person, and then there's the providers, and the assistant, and and then whoever does billing, and that's it. That's pretty much it. It's like five people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) you know, Or six people if it's... Or whatever, but so I wish the insurance is. would
3: realize that. Our our main hang-up has been dental pays for it if it's here, medical pays for it if it's at the office. So dental says, screw that, I'm going to let medical pay for it, and mm-hmm. that's been our biggest thing. Like you were saying, care. that's that's
0: the kind of
2: stuff that's outside of our control. Of yeah. our control and, and it's frustrating. all we by.
3: can do is just keep billing and arguing with them. And,
2: and help that eventually, eventually they'll, they'll kind of get it. Um, and, you know, I think that that's one thing that a lot of the residency programs are looking at. I think that people are trying to get larger studies that are showing this is uh, a long-term retrospective study of uh, demonstrated cost-benefits. Cost benefit. Okay, that makes sense. Well, good. Maybe the insurance will
3: so start looking at that. Hopefully,
2: thing. you know, more programs will start showing these kinds of studies and you know one of these days the studies will reach the right people and you, maybe we'll see legislative change but okay. we're not there yet.
1: So you have recently bought your own practice, a place that you had worked at for several mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure there have been challenges that you have faced mm-hmm. in purchasing that practice. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Well, I was, at the time, before I bought the practice, I was just an associate, but I was working as only an anesthesia provider Mm -hmm. associate, and so the main challenge for me was learning, what in the world do I do now? Like, (laughs) I would go home every day at 4 p.m. before and wouldn't have to think about work anymore, and then all of a sudden I was in the deep water (laughs) having to run a practice and... All of a sudden, I was having to read all these books on business administration and practice management, and I was staying at work until 7 p.m., and I get home, and I'm tired and grumpy, and my wife is tired, and my kids are screaming because they haven't seen me all day, and I was just in the deep end and was not prepared for that, so it was a lot of studying to, to kind of learn that side of it, and also a lot of recognition that I don't have to know how to do all of this stuff. There are people that can you can hire people. to help make <laughs> your life easier. And, um,
3: hire the people. <laughs> once we kind of figured that out,
2: that made life so much simpler for sure. Um, worth every penny. They're worth every penny. They're, they're worth their weight winning goal. Um, <laughs> buying practice was definitely challenging, but it's been rewarding. I, I really enjoy it um, because you can really start to tailor it to your personality Makes and see sense. what you're passionate about. And I'm passionate about making the dental experience pleasant for kids and for increasing the access to care uh, in our community. And you can really start to show people that when you have the ability to control your own marketing and to mm-hmm. control the types of patients that you want to be treating and eliminate the other ones that you don't want to be seeing and send them to other, to uh, other providers to spread but, the love mm-hmm. in town, you know. And, and the word is out, you know now we have lots more dentists referring specifically for the anesthesia that I provide. And before it was mostly um, just the general dentistry and Medicaid based practice for kids um, and now it's really starting to bring on that too. anesthesia and sedation for dentistry and uh, that's really driving the referrals now it's, it's really changed our practice a lot.
0: We're coming to an end in our time, but before before we leave, I really would like to ask you, um, as a as a dentist, as, let's, let's say better, um, as a student that is looking into becoming a dentist mm-hmm. and is thinking maybe this is something that I would like to do, um, what are the resources out there for them to find
2: themselves, find more information about I mean, dental anesthesia. Talking, thinking, yeah, yes. Yeah, so um, there's the American Society of Dental Anesthesia, and there's okay. a website for that. It's ASDAHQ.com, I believe. Okay. And they kind of explain what it is we do and who we are and how you go from point A of being uh, a dentist to, to achieving your goal of becoming a dental anesthesiologist. So that's a great place to start. And then the other is. Uh, on that website, you can kind of see where these schools are located and you can kind of focus on where you want to go and and look at each program individually and see what are their strengths and what are their weaknesses. Some of them are really strong in the didactics and you learn uh, the theory behind it and some of them are really strong in the clinical practice of it and you get a lot of experience doing tons and tons and tons of patients. So you can kind of figure that out by looking at you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to be a teacher? Well, you should go to this school because it has an excellent, excellent didactics. So do you want to be out in the real world and doing sedation every day? Well, maybe this one's the one for you because you're going to do 1,500 patients in your your time at school. So that's a great place to start. Um, the other is talk to someone uh, who's done it. And again, you can find, them, find providers there um, on that start. website as well. Okay. And, you know, most of us... love talking about this like we'll talk about it all day long we might not be the most talkative people but if you get us talking about this, like we'll talk to you about it we'll help you get through it and and we'll kind of steer you um in the direction to go so i would say look for a mentor look for someone that's done it um don't be afraid to cold call them or shoot them an email or whatever um find a mentor get interested in if if you if you like dentistry um but you really love the sciences. This might be a great place for you to fall okay, into. but that's you're a little bit like less technically proficient, uh-huh. and like you, your class two sucks. Uh-huh. <laughs> like mine did. I was not great in class two, I and mean, I was terrible at removable price, So I was like, uh oh. What am I going to do? And then I realize, hey, you know what? I was pretty good in the general sciences. Maybe this is where I want to fall into. Excellent. Uh, that's
0: that's a very specific.
2: I, I like that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're, you can tell us you what kind of, of person.
2: If you get to can realize that maybe you shouldn't be here. <laughs> this <laughs> is a great place <laughs> for you to live. <laughs>
0: yeah. But you are
2: through. you, you are play. weighted down by that student debt <laughs> and afraid that you're not going to be able to compete with all your classmates that are doing way better than you. <laughs> <laughs> but you were good in, in your, your grades yeah. that's a great place where you land <laughs> no no it, it is
0: definitely something that is needed that we benefit I think it's the kind of
2: thing where everybody benefits you yeah know? that's what kind I kind of a win-win said. situation wins. everybody wins it's a win-win situation it's great for the provider it's great for the patient and it's you know it gives me a job I, I can still well I
3: tell people on, look, on the table, they'll right? be like oh aren't I too old to be needing sedation I'm like if people didn't need it, he would not have
2: a job. Yep. So, obviously, lots of people need I would have it. failed out of I would. If people didn't need it, I'd probably exactly. be back in the coffee store. <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, so, basically, what, I, what I'm hearing, I remember, John, when, when you were younger, mm-hmm. um, and I used to be a minister, and you called me one time yeah. and said, What do you think? You know, I'm thinking about being a minister. And uh, I remember being like, I don't know, buddy. I mean, if you really, really, if if this is, if this is like, you have no other choice than yes, but, but otherwise. So, if somebody came to you today and said, "Hey, I'm a student, is this something worth going into?" Absolutely.
2: Um, There are jobs available. They're not going to be posted. It's not like your typical field where you go online and you go to monster.com and you can see, oh, there's where a dental anesthesiologist need, I'm gonna go there. But if you're willing to work and hustle, you will make it. And the demand is out there. Like I said before, it's a field of dreams situation. If you go somewhere and you set up shop and you you work the community, you're Going to get yeah, busy. Yeah. You can't not get busy. We have never had any problems finding patients for you. you exactly. Um, and so, patients want it. Pa- parents want their kids to be comfortable. And if someone came to me and said, What do I do? Can I make a living at this? The answer is absolutely yes. Exactly. I don't live in a big town. And you guys don't work in a big town no, either. No. And, and both of us are able to um, find patients that want to do this and, and keep busy with that patient list um,
1: it's very nice to be able to offer your services yeah. in this office right like it's pretty so, and I mean there's the
3: demographic that must have this our son being one of them yeah <laughs> there's I mean he was oh our son he's will one of the worst that we've seen he's one of the worst that we've seen and this was just exactly what he needed
2: well, he yeah, was, yeah. Couldn't, couldn't tolerate it the ones that are just totally afraid of the medical professionals he standard, wouldn't white take they won't come I mean, in. he won't, wouldn't have yeah.
1: See, I needed that when I was Ramses' age because yeah. right. like, I was I was the child that took four. When right. When doctor You're coming through the and door the and all of a
2: sudden your arms and your legs go out of <laughs> the door frame and you can't get through. And the, the
1: doctor nurse
3: and nurses are like, Oh
2: crap, there <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she is. <laughs> okay. <not
3: great. laughs> yeah. I mean he refused to take the liquid. That was never gonna work for him. Yep. And this is what there is a certain demographic that this is just what <laughs> has to yep. happen.
2: And those patients are everywhere. And there will never stop being those patients. No, so. no I think your going will be here. 40 exactly. and
1: you'll still be sedating him. So. Exactly. He's a big six foot three lumberjack
2: mm-hmm. dude. Yes. But <laughs> he <laughs> needs it too. Exactly. We have them here. <laughs> yes. Exactly. So
0: excellent. I'll put your um, the website sure. along with the, with the podcast. Cool. And uh, we're very grateful for what you do at our own, uh, office over here. Mm-hmm. I'm so
2: glad that you. Take the time to talk to us. Yeah, thanks for having uh, me on. I was a little bit nervous, but I don't think it went too bad. No, not I absolutely. I didn't <laughs> screw 600. up your podcast. So, so
0: maybe we'll have him again some so other maybe time. Maybe I get to come back. <laughs> Excellent. All right, guys. Have a good time, and we'll see you in the next podcast. See right. you okay, Bye. <laughs>